always we're really pleased to be here with him. So welcome, Christopher. It's, it's great to have you. Um, and it's good to see you all um, logging on from all around the world and saying hi. Um, we were hoping to have uh, Daniel, who's a new member of the Worldwide Insight team with us today, but unfortunately he's stuck with uh, British train uh, <coughs> transport problems. Um, so <coughs> I'm hosting again today. So it's good, great to be here. Um, I'm just going to do a, a quick um, intro with a couple of things we need to go through. Um, if you're new here, uh, then this might be useful information for you. So just to let you know how the session is going to run. We're going to be live on air for 90 minutes and we divide the session into three sections. So Christopher will start off with a Dharma talk, uh, sorry, with a guided meditation. He'll then go into a Dharma talk um, and then we'll finish with about half an hour for questions and answers. Um, and that's your chance to um, ask anything uh, related to your practice or to the, the talk and the meditation that Christopher's given this evening today. Um, if you would like to ask a question, you can do that in writing, and if, or, or one of the ways you can do it is to do it in writing, um, and so that all the questions are in one place, it would be really great if you could use the ask a question box. So if you look under the video screen, just under there, it says ask a question, click on there, you'll see a pop-up with an orange button, and, and you can click on that to ask your question. Um, there is always the opportunity to come on screen um, and interact with Christopher and we, we really encourage you to do that because it just, um, well, partly because we're able to offer that, it's a, it's a great way for you to be able to explore your question in a bit more depth, um, go, in, go into it. Um, yeah, the teacher can get a bit more understanding because you can explain it better than in the the short amount of space it gives you to write the questions. So if you'd like to come on screen and ask Christopher a question, just write a message for me in the sidebar um, and I will bring you on. Um, but please remember that you can't come on if you're using the Safari browser. It won't work, unfortunately. Um, so that's the Q&A. Um, I would also like to mention Dana, as I do every week, because um, we need an ongoing source of income to bring these sessions to you every week. Um, and your donations are the only place that the income comes from. Um, we have to meet um, admin costs, marketing costs, the cost of software that we use, um, the cost of this platform, um, and it really does add up. And we're always very much on the borderline when it comes to actually meeting those costs. So. If you would like to donate financially, um, we'd be really, really grateful. It's really easy to do that. Just click on the donate button underneath the video screen um, and you'll be presented with a couple of different options for donating. So thank you very much in advance um, for your generosity. So I'm going to hand over to Christopher now. He is leading a session titled, Who Am I? So we're going to be exploring that session, that topic today. So I'm going to take myself off and hand over to Christopher. Uh, uh, good evening everybody and uh, thank you for uh, <coughs> taking the time to uh, engage in an exploration over the next uh, 90 minutes. As uh, Caroline mentioned uh, to you, it falls into three areas. Uh, the initial um, guided uh, meditation, then a Dharma talk on the theme of who am I? And then uh, thirdly, the uh, question and answers 
and there's that small box at the bottom of the screen where you can uh, type in your questions and uh, may, may they flow. So, with regard to uh, the guided um, meditation and the two other themes, firstly, to express appreciation to Worldwide Insight and to uh, Caroline and the team which puts on this uh, wonderful uh, international service for which all of us genuinely um, get some benefit, some real benefit from. So, just with regard to the initial uh, period of the uh, Who Am I as a uh, meditation, um, I just invite you, uh, if you wish, to sit with the rather tall that means the straight line uh, of the back that gives and provides a certain uprightness to the posture. And from that uh, uprightness uh, there, uh, I'll offer the guided meditation. It will fall into three or four areas over the next uh, 25 minutes uh, or, or so. And... When that's complete, we'll move from there to a talk on the on the theme. So, with my with myself, prefer to uh, sit with the uh, eyes closed. You're obviously free if you wish to sit with eyes uh, open, half open, or uh, closed uh, as as you wish. <coughs> Just sitting, sitting rather tall, the long line of the back, the chin tucked in. with a genuine sense of being uh, alert and present. And in this guided uh, meditation, let us explore this a remarkable sense of self. The sense right now which may show and confirm itself as self-sitting. with the everyday conventional view of the self, namely, I am sitting here.
not holding or carrying any judgments about it. Not in any way uh, rejecting. So there is the quiet acknowledgement. I am sitting here. So there is the sense of the I, of oneself, and the body is one together. an everyday view a view others would confirm ah, you are sitting there yes, I am sitting here It feels to be the truth of the situation. A reality, so to speak, that we can all rather easily agree upon. And we might add or include, oh, I am feeling the body, I am feeling sensations. I am feeling warmth or a pleasant feeling or an uncomfortable or unpleasant feeling and we say to ourselves and each other this is what I'm feeling I am feeling this, I am feeling that.
or we might go to our senses. or to the voice. (coughs) It's the same language. I am speaking to you. The sense of self is totally associated with the voice. And you might respond with, I am listening. The sounds of one human voice travelling over to the ears and the inner life of another. I am speaking. I am listening. Or our self might be totally identified and connected with consciousness. Right now, I am conscious. Conscious of this guided meditation. conscious of your uh, presence in different parts of the world. We speak this language Humanly enough, day in, day out. Oh, I am sitting here. I am feeling, I feel. I listen, I speak. I'm mindful of, I'm conscious of. Seems to be very... True, very substantial, very real. This is how it is. But then, a second way of relating comes in. A shift from I am to my, to mine. Instead of an identification with the body, I am sitting.
There is another way of relating. My body, my arm, my legs, my sensations, my physical existence. Instead of I am feeling, the feelings become a possession, become mine. My feeling is my heart tells me speaking. Ah, this is my voice. And there is a listening. Owing to my listening, I can hear the voice of the other. sometimes with consciousness my practice my mindfulness the quality of my meditation my experience so here we have two kinds of relationship I or my is one of them more real, true, substantial than the other? Are these the only two options? Sometimes the eye arises and when it lands in the body, in the feelings, in the perceptions, in the thoughts, consciousness, voice, whatever, say, oh, I am in my mind and body. That's where I am. I am in the body. I am inside the body. I am in these feelings. I am in the listening. 
I am in the meditation, I am in this mindfulness. And sometimes this too seems very real and very true. And it seems very obvious I am in the body, I am in the feelings, I am in the thoughts, I am in the mindfulness. Are we so bold as to say one is more or less true than the others? Or is it the way of the formations, the causes and conditions? The way things come together, so that there is a looking one way, and then a looking another way, and then a looking in another way too. And then sometimes the experience is different from those three. And we think, perceive, imagine, oh, this mind and body is in me. There is me, there is I, there is self, and the body is part of me and the feelings are part of me and the perceptions and the thoughts and the voice and the listening and the consciousness and the mindfulness it's all part of me it's all in me so there is me and all these parts in me And that too seems very authentic at the time. But then it gives way to one of the other three views just named. Perhaps the I, the self, is not so substantial. Perhaps its emergence influences the perceptions. And we have to include those experiences where the I and my might be exceptionally quiet 
So it's not I am the body feelings. It's not my body, my feelings. It's not I am in the body, I am in these feelings. And it's not this body, these feelings, etc. are in me. Sometimes in meditations, in awarenesses, there is just the body, just the feelings, just the voice, just the mindfulness, just the meditations. without a sense of I and my. And this certainly can be a refreshing way of seeing. Less ego, less self, less I, less my. But it also depends upon the conditions. We can't make that one last forever and ever. Even if I and my is very light, very insubstantial. So let's not make a great fuss around I and my. Let's appreciate its presence. Recognize when it's inflamed with unhelpful desires, with blame and negativity, with fears and anxieties. so that there can be a clarity and the quiet freedom which says ah, I am sitting here, I am feeling I am listening, I am speaking and it's not charged with suffering or intensity or stress 
without making a big issue out of the manifestations of I and my. or being in the mind-heart-mind-body process or it being in oneself there's something quite uh, liberating in not feeling bound to the presentations of I and my We are quite clear this is just dependently arising. This perception or that perception. Let us meditate on this regularly. So there is an authentic freedom of not being bound up with self, with ego, with I and my. So it is simply a language for everyday use. And that's the extent of its merit. May all beings live with clarity. May all beings be free to raise the question, who am I? May all beings know a freedom without limits. Thank you everyone for uh, lending an ear. Evening uh, cup of tea here. Bit cool. Right. Privilege of the the talk for um, 30 minutes. Let me just check out the watch, how how I'm doing. Not bad, 32 minutes. <laughs> okay. <coughs> I actually got a couple of notes I uh, put down uh, here. I'm just going to r- run my uh, uh, eye over for a moment. All right, right, right. Okay. So I'd like to explore with you the everyday conventional world. This is really uh, the heart of the Dharma. The Buddha is the master of the uh, inquiries and the explorations 
uh, uh, with this. I'll endeavor to touch upon it in the uh, relative uh, daily sense uh, of things. And while uh, engaging uh, in this, I'd just like to start with the everyday initially and then take it step by step a little bit deeper uh, there. It's uh, obviously valuable and important that when we look at our uh, life, we endeavor to get a proper perspective uh, on it. And the initial task or duty or undertaking is to direct our senses two objects with a real commitment, practice and dedication towards seeing clearly. Mindfulness with clear comprehension, to see clearly. This is the dedication it's an in, indispensable feature of Dharma practice. It applies equally to what I see, hear, smell, taste and touch. To really look at that which is the seen, the heard, the smelt, the tasted and the touched there. And equally to have the capacity to look at the past clearly at the const what constitutes the present, i.e. the senses, and thirdly to look at the relationship to the future, the way of looking at the future. So totally committed way of life is dedicated to the senses, to clarity with the past and clarity with the future. That means that when we have this quiet ongoing commitment, with or without formal meditation, we will notice and see more obviously those inflows, to use the Buddha, Buddha's word here, those corruptions, another one, those projections, the, the karma, the old history, the habits, the patterns, the tendencies, you know, all these regular and important words in the teachings, and to be clear as to the way that the old, which is unsatisfactory, is having an impact on what we see, hear, smell, taste and touch, and the way we refer to the past and the way we relate to the future. So I think I hope you're getting the picture here. I'm committed as a human being who wishes to see and understand well and clearly, and if I do that, it will stand out even more 
that which is unhealthy, unresolved, which in some way distorts or perverts or exaggerates or underestimates this world of contact in which we live, our world. That practice um, is an immense practice. It is not a practice of trying to be in the here and now uh, all the time, not in the Buddha's Dharma. It is a practice so that when a situation arises, and you might possibly, as you listen, uh, make reference to something in your last day or days or two, and you recognize there was some, let's say, reactivity. A reactivity is repeating the old. It reacts itself, it reactivates, and it lands on something or someone. You see here, smell, taste, touch, or whatever. And that inflames that. It gives it a significance. And one feels the wanting, or the blame, or the agitation, or the boredom, or the numbness, uh, or the dissatisfaction with that. And that could, that could be towards I and my. Of course, it can land there easily enough. <coughs> or towards the outer, or memory, or what might be in the future. So to know what is going on, we need to be as clear as possible, where are my vulnerable places? Where and what times do I see the most reactivity? Am I willing to name that and be quite clear about that? And it could be that just maybe a few areas it could involve a particular person or persons it could be involve a lifestyle or a work or whatever could be a relationship to the old and the relationship to the new you've got to pick out you've you've got to make clear so quite often you have a difficulty and you pass by and you think, God, oh, thank God that's over. Let, I really want to move on from that. Don't. Rather, when something has come to a, 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 an end, means it's, you're not so agitated, make t- time for some reflection. What was going on at this time which brought about the inflaming, or the preoccupation, or the obsession, or the excessive thinking, or the agitation. What was? What were the factors that were triggering this? What is it that needs to change? And that capacity to recognize what needs to change, uh, here. if you change that, that which was impacting will have less impact. Because you've changed something in the process. It could be a change of attitude. 
It could be a change of perception. It could be, you've asked yourself, what is a way to look at this afresh? So, in response to the question of the theme with you, the who am I is one. Who am I when it's problematic? Identity, role, clinging, holding, reactivity. To be quite clear and honest, write it down, state it. You're really going to know who you are and if the problematic aspect has to stand out, it has to be named and you've got to know what you are working with. That's a terrific priority. Tremendous sense of responsibility and quite often we of course needed the good wisdom and the good counsel and sharing of others to help that stand out. Put it in Dharma language, what hinders your liberated life? What hinders it? Name it. Work with it. Right, I'm going to really going to work on that. Secondly, one's life is not full of hindrances. Not possible anyway. There are plenty of times and moments when the forces of the old, the unresolved, the history, the karma, whatever you want to call it, is not impacting. Even right now, or being well, you might just be sitting here, you are listening to the voice of the speaker, possibly some small valid reminders are being made. So there's bare attention, another key word with the Buddha, there's the bare attention to the voice of the speaker. There's no stress in it. There's no anxiety or whatever. There is a quiet listening to what is taking place. And in that quiet listening to what is taking place uh, there, there's no feeling or sense of the past impacting. And all those moments from just seeing people on the street, the bird flying through the air, the enjoyment of a piece of music, spending time in the garden or in the nature, quiet meditative times, reading of something which is nourishing. Who am I is to know the valid, authentic, beneficial times to be very clear about what those are and to recognize the nourishment which comes from that. It's all part of who am I. It's a daily curiosity, a daily uh, vitality and, uh, and interest. Let us say, one is dedicated to this exploration, one is recognizing the challenging, problematic areas, there is enough humility to say, well, sometimes some things I haven't got the knowledge about, I haven't got enough insight into, I haven't really understood what's going on, but there may be another woman or man or group around, sangha or practitioners or teachers, counsellors, whoever, who may help to shed some light on that which I need to understand more clearly. You may have been in a situation which has dramatically changed 
all the ways that that can, can happen, quite dramatically change. And there could be a great deal of grief and sorrow and despair uh, over. And sometimes we say, well, this is coming out of the love for the other. And now she has left this world. Now he has gone, or whatever it might be. It is not the love which causes the grief. That would be a reason not to love is going to cause grief. What is it that I didn't see and didn't understand in the passage of time that led up to this? Why does it make makes it so difficult to deal with this change? What did I not recognize and see in the signals, in the signs, in my views, in my idea of continuity or perpetuation of something? I miss something. The things I didn't see, and that's where the grief is. And we want to understand that movement from past to present, so sadness, yes, but grief is to exaggerate something and it makes for a lot of distress. <clears throat> Even in terms of the knowing of our challenging areas, the knowing of the supportive and beneficial areas, and we really need to recognize those lovely, beautiful experiences and to tap into those and love them and be receptive to them. And let us say, not perfectly, but let us say reasonably we are reasonably emotionally well integrated. We don't get mad, we don't get angry, we don't have tantrums, uh, we're not fighting, we're not always arguing, we don't experience depression, or whatever, reasonably well integrated. And knowing that some things can knock us off centre, and we have to deal with that, etc. But would that be enough? Would you as a human being have a sense of um, being well adjusted, genuine, genuine sense of well-being, and think, okay, that's it, that's the point of arrival. But in these kind of teachings, it's the preparation. We might be quite well grounded. We might have a good meditation practice. We may have a great love of mindfulness. We may have a pretty good relationship with others uh, in the world there and feel empathy uh, as well. But that, as it were, steps and stages along the path. And there are two other really important things which have to be, <coughs> pardon me, alive for you in any formal meditations and retreats and courses and programs, of course. But also, your day itself is a real commitment. And what I mean by, mean by this is, when some of the kind of fairly basic questions of who am I, one kind of, so, quote-unquote, knows oneself, 
there. When we have looked at, as mentioned in the guided meditation, that this sense of I and my, I am sitting, I am feeling, or possess, the possession aspect, my body, my feelings, or I am in the body, I am in the feelings, or the body is in me, the feelings are in me, or, that, or just there are just body and feelings and consciousness there. When we really learn to see all of that with real clear comprehension, so there's no permanent substantial place for the eye to rest, that the conditions influence it, and sometimes the conditions, there's hardly any I am my noticeable. All of that called knowing oneself, self in quotation marks. When that world is fairly okay, not perfect, but pretty okay, we're pretty okay, so to speak, with ourselves, with our life, we're living a moder modest, moderate life, not driven, not compulsive, at ease. Then we can then move to the next, dare I say, step or stage or whatever. So the knowing of oneself then starts to have a sense of what is it I need to know and is important to know with regard to, shall we call it, an awakened life. There. What, what does that mean? What does this word Buddha mean? What is it to really wake up for a reasonably well integrated human being? And that interest is a, an important, sustained interest. It's required from us every day. And finding the knowledges, it's in the plural, there, of what keeps that spark of interest alive. That can show itself in listening to teachings, of course, and the great wealth of teachings, Worldwide Insight and hundreds of other networks and organisations. But there is no substitute for the direct uh, contact. The second aspect uh, of course, is making use of the literature from some of the profound texts that are available to lines of poetry, to a, a reading of a specific, and it's to meditations and mindfulness practices, which is not about reducing stress, because that's the beginning stage. It's not about being pretty harmonious with oneself, important as it is, but it's much more about what are the insights and realizations that I can see much more, realize much more, understand uh, much more, find expressions for that with the empathy and the friendship and the kindness for others. And one takes a real interest in that kind of knowing, and it's, no, it's completely non-self, meaning it's not for me, not I want more, I'm going to get more out of this. The sense is that the life 
and the human being is expanding in such a way that empathy, friendship, kindness, compassion, service, generosity, giving finds its expression. The interest because it can express itself. It can go, as the Buddha said, in all the directions. This is extraordinary capacity that we, we have. But my goodness me, we've got to be so committed to this. We've really got to make the day, our days, our life, a real adventure in this exploration. And at times, of course, the self, the ego self, the self, will get involved, we'll have to give attention to it, we'll have to work with it, have to get some understanding. Uh, they say, okay, I've got some insight and understanding in order that something else, like the Buddha said, not for oneself, it's not self, it's for that expansive sense which is a real benefit in the field uh, which is much bigger <coughs> than our modest, small self. And that knowing can come through many outlets from our own inner voice of depth and insight, as I say, to the voices of the other, to the intimations in the nature, to the poetry and the literature, to the deep spiritual texts there, and much, much more. And the third, in terms of knowing, so there's a knowing of who am I, there is a knowing of our credible potential for insight and understanding and waking up, and then the th third knowing is the knowing of what awakening is. It's no longer an abstract. It's no longer a theory. It's a way of being in which freedom, which is deathless, is obvious, it is clear, it's immediate uh, uh, there, and then very little kind of... Um, slipping into the old world of um, the I and the my world, shall we say. Still using the language of I and my, but there's a sense there, and it's a very deep, genuine sense. Initially, a single experience might be the spark. Initially, there's no sense of experience uh, no sense of major feeling or emotion for some, but it might just be a quiet sense of knowing. And that freedom is that freedom from the problematic old, the freedom to be, which is a really beautiful freedom, and the freedom to respond. That's the, that's the empathy that the Buddha spoke of so frequently. <coughs> <coughs> and this third one is because we're really, really interested uh, in that. And what it also does in our kind of everyday mind with the world of self and I and my and uh, e uh, ego, we kind of live in a world in which we're kind of attracted or compelled or made up our mind that the world is really a world of the name and that which is named. And it looks like 
with the everyday mind, then that's ultimate reality. There is the name, and there is that which is named. And it seems like millions, billions, in fact, kind of subscribe to this view, that that's the construct of the world. We have a name for things, we might change the name, the things might change, or both change, or neither change, but we seem to be living in a world of the name and the named, on the big scale, on the small scale. And it's we repeat it so much, we might be blinded by it. We might really think that's the reality. We might find ourselves suffering over the name and the named uh, there. And that's inhibiting us from a waking up or from the exploration, that second one of knowing and exploring, from awaking to awaking and the realizations there that the authentic reality of things is not a world of the name and the named. It's a construct, it is valid, it is useful, but we can realize much more than that. All right, let me have a look at the time. So uh, thank you very, very much for uh, uh, lending uh, an ear. And as you can appreciate with these uh, themes, they are themes genuinely to meditate on. Is there just the name and the name? Who am I? Is it just about issues and stuff and there? What about all the appreciations there? In our certain sense of harmony and integration, could that be a stepping stone? to an exploration of other kinds of knowing and seeing and realizing. Can we find out in the depth of things that, to the depth, that the name and the named are simple, supportive, beneficial conventions. But ultimately, they're not that. They're just conventions. Thank you there. Um, just going to have another sip of the uh, lukewarm tea and then I'll uh, take uh, just a couple of minutes with regard to the uh, donations and then after that the, the Q&A. And uh, I see on the page here, wow, it's such a lovely uh, international uh, 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 audience and as an internationalist, um, it's a, a delight. I'll have to put the uh, the specs on and have a and have a look. Voila. So, um, worldwide uh, uh, insight and the the, the small team um, put a lot of work to make these events happen, and of course there is the various uh, running costs there. There's all uh, the preparation. There's the synchronization of the teachers with the uh, equipment and so forth. Um, and then there's the 
the website and the updating and putting all that information uh, together. And it genuinely is worldwide insight. And uh, we, the uh, teachers, the servants of the Dharma, have the immense privilege of sharing and hopefully out of that some insights come. Um, I remember a few year, few few months ago, that in talking to uh, Caroline and uh, uh, others, that they're putting so much work uh, in and very very generously, we the teachers were receiving fifty five oh fifty percent of the uh, the donations the support and they received fifty uh, percent, but. Our time, presence, and the preparation, and other things, of course, is much shorter. And so we, uh, the teachers, really were very, very happy to give support to Worldwide Insight, so that in the past few months, the team is receiving now 65% and um, 35% for us who are uh, teaching. And if you can give some uh, support, it really is uh, helpful. And with these, uh, with the support that comes there, it's always on the um, you know, understanding and one of those things which is worth to express, of course, that that which we receive, we use mindfully, respectfully, sensitively for the essential needs there and some of those needs are behind my head from the past so if you if I move my head across a little bit so I'm just pointing my finger da -da -da. so middle length discourses Long-length discourses, collected discourses, Sutta Nipata, various commentaries, some wonderful texts on and commentaries, mostly from uh, India, uh, by the way, and many, many other uh, books. And all of that has all um, come out of the donations, come out of what people said, Christopher, we want to give you support and give organizations like Worldwide Insight uh, support and that really helps to keep the good flow of teachings and practices and communications uh, alive and well. And your uh, gift, donation, Dana, D-A-N-A, is hugely uh, uh, appreciated and uh, as big a thank you uh, as I can express on behalf of Worldwide Insight and also uh, myself. Okay, enough said. So this time, I'm going to put the glasses on, a bit more sip here. Um, and so on the, bo the bottom of my screen, it says, um, ask a question. And I'm just going to click on here, and then uh, all being well, I'll... Ah. <coughs> okay, so I'll read the question out. And um, 
then um, uh, respond uh, to it. And it's always vitally important to remember because it's a way that we kind of protect the truth. The good questioner asks the question. <clears throat> I read out the question loud and then I respond. The response is a view which this Walla is expressing. So it's not the Buddhist view, it's not the view, it is a view which may be helpful for you, the listener. That's the principle. That principle applies with reading the texts, with listening to teachers and gurus and swamis or whatever. A view is expressed. One listens to see if it is useful. Not the view, not the absolute authority on anything. There. All right, enough. Let me read. If natural awareness or consciousness is the precondition for everything to exist, at least experientially speaking, what then is that which conditions the existence of awareness? Meaning, what is that which gives rise to awareness in living beings? Um, if I may, I'll take um, two, two or three uh, uh, aspects. I would hesitate, this is the view, in any way whatsoever to, um, to, to speak of a precondition for everything to exist. And what I, uh, what I mean by that, that awareness, yes, of course, it has a variety of conditions, but those conditions are also the conditions which gives rise to the world of name, words, forms, body, sights and sounds. So in the dynamic which takes place, awareness is codependently arising, interconnected with, use everyday language, with much uh, else. In order, as the person uh, asked uh, there, what is it which gives rise to awareness in uh, living uh, beings? One important factor in the coexistence must be consciousness. And that consciousness as it were, interconnected with the world of matter and energy and life and nature and much more, that consciousness can be touched upon with other qualities which include in that interest, energy, vitality, inquiry, concern and more. So when awareness in there doesn't have its own existence, it doesn't come before everything else, but when there are the conditions 
like those I just mentioned, that consciousness brings us to a point of awareness. Right now, there is uh, an awareness here, of course, of the sharing of the Dharma, the reading of your good questions, the curiosity, the energy, the interest, and all of that's coming together to bring an awareness to this specific event there. And from this awareness of, it's not an end goal, it is to endeavour to bring about a receptivity which brings other insights and realisations. So we're not striving to be always aware all the time, it's not possible. Conditions allow and gives a great support to it for the realisations and for the insights. They're the important thing. Could you talk a bit <laughs> about the self, awareness, backstroke, consciousness, existence in the Buddhist and Vedanta traditions? <coughs> Happy to talk a little bit of the um, qualifications for this, if I, if I may. Um, I just got back from um, uh, India a couple of weeks ago. There, the, the privilege of um, serving the Dharma in Saranath, where the Buddha gave his first teachings in Bodhgaya, to visit our beloved school, the Pragna Viha School, the School of Wise Abiding, for 600 kids from the poorest of the poor, and uh, Varanasi, and, and so forth. Really uh, precious and lovely visit despite the pollution, despite the hassles and everything else. And when I go, I kind of re recollect the years of um, being in, in India. I, sp I certainly spent, I think, more than seven or eight years of my life in India uh, altogether. And the Dharma and the Vedanta tradition have a very, very close relationship there. Of course, both like to make the separations, but it's not quite my way of looking. It's just that, in the one aspect of the differences, in the Buddhist tradition, one has the benefit of a lot of healthy, skillful practices and forms and methods which contribute to waking up. And I think the tradition, Buddhist tradition, and it's best, it's a real strength of the tradition. We have the practices. The weakness, and there is a weakness, is that we can get so identified with the form, the method, the technique, the posture, the method, the, the instructions, uh, and all of that, that it acts as a, a bit problematic because we get so much into the form and we can lose sight of liberation, of which an expression is the formless. The Vedanta tradition, to its credit, will emphasize, at least in years that I was listening to Vedanta teachers, our remarkable potential for immediacy of realization. This is Advaita Vedanta, the non-dual Vedanta. And, and I think that's a really important reminder 
to some degree, the, this evening program was giving some emphasis to immediacy of, of things uh, there. The weak spot with Vedanta, from my observation and listening and so forth, it doesn't have a strength of the practices. So it tends to rely upon listening to the teacher, to the Advaita, the non-dual uh, teacher. Vedanta itself means end of the Vedas. So it's the text which came after the early texts, and Upanishads, of course, and the Bhagavad Gita, Ramajala Sutras, and many, many more. Uh, those texts have profound uh, insights and really inspirational, and out of all of that came Shankara and the non-dual teaching. Um, so I, th- I would say with both, there's much to be appreciated and a bit concerned for both as well. That's my view. Right, let's go down to the next... Um, Okay. Could you please develop and explain reactivity and how it is a hindrance? Uh, thank you. Yeah. Interesting with the, 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 the word um, karma. I've been um, going through the text. You know, the lovely thing these days, you get a PDF and you can type in a word. Like Buddhist text say karma. And I just looked at all the different places that it's used. Let me have a little sip. Hang on. How are we doing for time? I've got 15 minutes. And reactivity is something which is not resolved from the past and there is some it could be a pressure it could be just that there is enough space inside. Um, it could be circumstances around, or some old history, and there is a reaction. And the reaction lands. It could land on the past, it could land on the future, it can land on oneself, it can land on what's going on around. And <coughs> this <clears throat> reaction uh, there it distorts the opportunity for clarity it, it obstructs it it impacts on it and very easily we think we're looking at the past or the present or the future but actually they become incidental what we could be looking at is the reactivity and not the event and sorting out the clarity is the action to see clearly which is not a reaction so reaction in Dharma language but it simply is old karma karma means action which is unresolved. And then the Buddha speaks of action, which is free, the free movement uh, there, and therefore that is not a reaction. The free movement to move, the free movement of love, the free movement of the voice, 
the free movement to inquire or to meditate. And that itself is of immense benefit to recognize the time when our actions is free, it's not cause it's not ego centered, self interest and all that. It's not preoccupied, obsessed with the other, uh, or with both. And so we get to know what is an action which is healthy and skillful and wise, and what is a reaction. And sometimes it's not always easy to know which is which, but that's part of the mindfulness practice. And I hope I made it clear that the hindrance, it hinders seeing. If if I'm reacting against what she said or he said, I can't, I'm not really hearing them, I'm just reacting against. Or if I'm reacting about something that happened or might happen and I'm afraid, all of that blocks the capacity to see clearly. So it's a hindrance, it gets in the way. And we want a liberated life in which our past is not getting in the way of seeing clearly. What are some practical ways we could invite, in backstroking courage, the inquiry into who am I when working with individuals and groups who are not Dharma students and meditators? Yeah, it's <laughs> a good question. Um, um, the, the first... Uh, that's easy this but the first is keep out the language Dharma Uh, it hasn't got street credibility Uh, it's not known on the street word mindfulness has landed it must be as popular a word as yoga these days a lot of people seem to have heard about it and has a great purpose although it's still early stages uh, uh, with that so the first thing One's got to keep one's eyes and ears open to the interest, the curiosity and the motivation of the other. And one's got to find the questions. So you've got a small group, I've got some students, uh, which you have a sense they might be able to respond to there. And you've got to make it interesting, fun, curious, and it's the kind of question and putting one's own experience there, and make it very, very ex- experimental. You know. Oh, who are you? Oh, oh, I am. I am a man. Oh, I am a father. Oh, I'm a grandfather. I am a teacher. I am a traveller. I am a writer. I'm just referring to Christopher here, uh, etc. There. Yes? Is that it? Is that who you are? A, A number of roles and identities. What if we put those aside just for a few moments? Then what? Then what's the response? And then you share a little bit about your response, they share a little bit about uh, theirs, and something might come out of it. So it doesn't need any 
formal meditation yeah, is a kind of mutual uh, uh, interest. And sometimes people come up with some lovely insights, providing it's lots of love, empathy, curiosity, appreciation. If all that comes out, they'll be fine, and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. <clears throat> As you said, just checking for time, uh, time here. As you said, the self is a construct and is constructed out of conditions coming together. Conditions such as past influence, the environment, relationships and much else. While knowing that, one might either respond to the outer environment, relationships and so, as well as the inner feelings. What is your view on choosing to leave a certain society or company in order to put an end for a self-construct which arises uh, there. Yeah. Um, good question. It's an, inter it's an interesting one. It reflects a little bit back to the earlier with the uh, reaction. So, some of us, I'm supposed to better include myself in this one, um, <coughs> I can think back to various times when, and going right back to my um, teenage years here, when what felt right was stepping out from, stepping away from. I left school at 15 and was absolutely crystal clear I am not going back uh, to school. There's more important things to do with life. And that, and there. It could be a mixture of a independent young man, or it could be a reactivity. Sometimes it's not so easy to know. The sense in making um, uh, 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 these steps <coughs> from a full, rich perspective. There is the engagement with <coughs> or the stepping away from. And plenty, I'm sure, some of you here uh, who are listening this evening will know only too well what a challenge these two ways of looking are. Sometimes the staying with is because one is afri afraid to step away from. So one uses language of being with, staying with, whatever that might be work, it could be relationship, it could be where you live, could be lifestyle or whatever. One just stays with it. Uh, there. But it could be, that's one's practice. And it's not out of fear of the alternative. And similarly, a person can be free, which is a right, of course, to step away from. It may be misunderstood by the others, family or friends, whoever. Entering into something completely different. They may say, why are you withdrawing? Or it's a reaction or whatever it might be. But you feel there's something authentic and necessary about it. 
And somewhere in all of this, the dynamic of being with and stepping out from is there. I don't think there's any right nor wrong uh, uh, with that, but to keep that exploration alive and plenty of times we'll, all of us will be challenged with being with or being out of in all sorts of uh, envir- environments uh, there and I don't see the ending of ego I can't see the ending of self-construct as you but, but let's say the ending of ego that means impressions which are clung to and held on to that either one or the other is preferential there was certainly a time we take the tradition and with some religions not all of them in which you stepped out of the worldly life to live the so-called spiritual life. You stepped away from the yogis, the monks and the nuns or whatever. Another tradition which says, no, no, you stay with the family life, you, you stay committed to that, but didn't offer the opportunity really to really step out of into another different uh, lifestyle. I think we in the period that we are in currently have the opportunity to really explore, share this, listen to people's other experiences, which may require a steady commitment to, and it may require a real stepping out of. Let's have the capacity to take responsibility for our decisions. All right. What would you perhaps, would you perhaps offer some remarks regarding what the experience or state of confusion or conflict is as well as what may be a beneficial way to allow for clarity of intention? Um, to very, appreciate the, uh, uh, the questions uh, they give um, some food for food for food for thought. Um, in the psychological dynamic, maybe the inner life here, consciousness and all its stuff, it's all of its content. One of the, not the only, but one of the key aspects which the good questioner has put up is intention. Whoa, have we got to have a a mindful eye on intention. A lot of I and mind self-deception can come in. Sometimes people claim it's their good intentions, but actually it could be to manipulate, it could be to exploit or take advantage uh, of. Sometimes we're experiencing you know, some confusion or there is conflict with the, uh, with the other. And again, to check in of all the psychological dynamics, keeping a really close interest on the intention. And it might be necessary, if it's confusion or conflict with the other, for you to ask uh, or to state the other, 
what you see is your intention. Because if there is conflict and confusion, the other may see your intention in a way that you do not intend. And it takes some quiet openness and honesty uh, to express what you see as the intention is. And the criteria for it is that it's obviously wholesome, it's non-harmful, there is a genuine wish to uh, share and to find ways to actually uh, uh, meet. And that kind of intention has the support of a wisdom to it, but it may need to be expressed to the other so that she or he or they kind of know where you're coming from and that will help them otherwise you might say or ask things which are fine correct but it might trigger suspicion and therefore the conflict sparks so clear expressing it openly sharing checking it's okay for you to speak and out of that some communication may develop Well, lads, it's 7.30 here. All right. So um, I've gone through the, uh, uh, the good questions and finally, in the last minute here, to uh, express thank you for taking uh, the time and the considerably good number of you, more than 130, I think, to a good number of you who have uh, kindly... Uh, uh, listen, listened uh, uh, in and as mentioned with the uh, guided meditation really taking an interest in I and mine it's everyday convention nothing problematic about it really noticing when something when it's got caught up in something and the impact that it's having on you or on uh, others recognising as well the different views that we have I am the body feeling, my body feeling, uh, I am in the body feeling, the body feelings, etc. are in me, uh, etc. Really just noticing, wow, wow, extraordinary, the conditions that generate uh, the view. So one is, isn't taking it so personally, uh, so, to, so to speak. Take a real interest in that knowledge which is insightful and beneficial for you and the full commitment that look here is this life the years are going by there's a potential to really know an awakening and realizations with all the love and empathy that can emerge uh, out of it that is the best stay stay steady with it keep your explorations going alive it's the best namaste and a very big thank you to you good night <coughs>